You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed browser extension helps with everything from both metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Scott Fisher, founder of Select Management Group. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How did you find your way into the digital video space? It's kind of an interesting story. It was about eight years ago. I was in college producing a web series I was just doing with my friends kind of in our spare time. And we wanted to cast a YouTuber on the show so that someone watched the thing we were making. Cast the YouTuber, ended up getting picked up for a TV development deal. And I, my whole goal was to be a television producer. And I was like, in this meantime, when I have this development deal, I'll manage you on the side so that you don't kind of mess this up for me. And I realized this was kind of right when AdSense started. People were just starting to make money on YouTube. I realized there was something there that I barely knew about. And I had kind of watched YouTube, but I didn't really understand how it all worked. In the process of developing the show, it was about a year. I started managing my first client at the time. His name was Gregory Gorgeous. And how did you meet these YouTubers? I just, we wanted to do the web series. So I literally just blind emailed this person on their YouTube channel. Everyone has a contact email or something. And I was like, hey, do you want to be on this web series? Whatever, we'll give you credit. We'll let you put it on your YouTube channel, whatever you want to do. Um, did that. And then in the meantime, between developing the TV show and all this stuff, I said I would manage it on the side to see what happens. I was working at Starbucks at the time in college. I would go into the Starbucks bathroom on my breaks, do these little brand deals for this YouTuber that I didn't even know what I was doing. I had no clue. My client would tell me what they wanted to do, what they didn't want to do. I would hear the other people kind of say what they were willing to do. And the whole job of a manager is just helping everyone meet in the middle and figuring it out. So I learned by seeing what everyone's guardrails were. And I just was kind of doing deals here and there, doing whatever I could. Ended up becoming enough of a business that I could quit my job at Starbucks, which was a big deal for me. And did that kind of on the side. And then it actually became a real thing where I had multiple clients, hired a team, had an office in Toronto, um, dropped out of college. I had about a year left and then kept doing it and eventually moved to LA. So what happened to the dreams of being a television producer? We're still doing it. Okay. You know? So that's the amazing thing about being a manager in general. I didn't know that it was possible to kind of have your hand in everything. Because um, obviously, as a, if you're just a producer, you kind of live and die by the projects you're working on. And one might not go and you're kind of screwed for a year if you don't have a bunch of other stuff in development. So it's awesome. We can work with our clients. We have multiple clients. We can produce content. We can invest in ventures. We can operate the business. Just do everything that I kind of wanted to do under one umbrella. So you grew up in Toronto, right? Yeah. You're doing this in the emerging uh, video scene on YouTube, figuring it out. Yeah. What made you want to move to LA? It was more out of necessity. So I actually was planning to build up my business and run it from Toronto because I could come to LA for work. It was kind of nice to come here, have fun, work, go home, and kind of have that separation. And I never planned on moving here until I got stopped at the border. And they basically said, you need to get a visa because you're making money in the U.S. or you can't come back. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had to figure out a way to move the company from Toronto to the U.S. I ended up finding this like investor visa where you create a company 
you invest in it as a foreign investor, and then you work for that company essentially. So that's what Select became. Ah, I see. Yeah. So the original business was called Foreground, yes. the, the company that you started in Toronto, and then yeah. that evolved into what became Select when yeah. you recapitalized and started the business in LA. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I ran Select for about a year on my own in LA, and then I brought in my partner, Adam Westcott, um, to help build out more of the production and venture stuff that we're doing now. And how did you and Adam meet? We actually met, this is a funny story, I don't know how many people know this, we, the first time I ever came to LA for work with my client, Greg, now Gigi, that's a whole other conversation we could get into, um, Adam actually hired us and flew us out. So he was producing one of the original funded channels for YouTube back in the day, when they funded, I think, like 100, 100 channels or something. Sure. Um, what channel was it, do you remember? It was called You Look Hot, um, and Gigi was a guest on a show he was doing, and I snuck my way into being the plus one, and I was like, let's go. I think that was 2011. <laughs> and you and Gigi have worked together for a long time, culminating in a big Sundance uh, totally. feature film last year. So yeah. tell us about that project and that relationship. Yeah. So she was the one that was on the web series. And she was, at the time, Gregory. And she was the boy wearing makeup on YouTube, which was pretty uncommon before. It's it's become such a more you know widespread thing now, which is amazing. But it was before you know people really understood what even being transgender was. or any, I had no idea. And then one day she told me she was transgender and I had so many questions. I didn't know how it all worked, how, what would, what would change with her. Um, and then it just kept going. We, we, we were friends, but we, it's always rooted in business. And she's been my client for like eight years now. Um, we kind of both grew our businesses at the same time together. It's been a really interesting and fun journey. Yeah. And yeah. she's had terrific success, right? In addition yeah. to the film, doing a, a original project for YouTube Red. Yeah. yeah. So we produced a documentary all about the transition. Yeah. She ended up filming hundreds of hours of footage on a GoPro and kind of presented it to us on a silver platter and was like, hey, do you think this could be something? And we're like, yes, this could be an amazing documentary. And then we brought on an Oscar-winning director, Barbara Koppel, premiered at Sundance, and it was financed by YouTube Red. Do you think that Gigi's stories and the platform that YouTube gave her, you said a lot of that was uncommon, right? There was not a lot of knowledge about uh, transgender issues and stories like that in the past. Do you think that digital media has given rise to more understanding and acceptance? Totally. She's yeah. the first person to publicly transition in media pretty much ever from start to finish. People knowing her from being a boy, documenting everything to being a, a woman now. It gives teens something to look at and see what's possible because before her and before others, there was no one to even understand. I had no idea what it was. If I was just you know, on YouTube, I would have seen Gigi now and understood how it all worked. So I think it's so important to give visibility to stories like hers. And it's just important for her to tell everything that she's going through and talk about it um, and just be herself. It's not even necessarily about educating people on the hard facts. It's just you need to see a human being going through something so you can emote with them and understand what they're going through. So you started the business in Toronto. You're working with these clients. Had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? I was always that kid that had ideas and that was selling lemonade as soon as I could. I remember when I was probably maybe like 10 years old, I got all the kids on my street, turned them into like almost like a girl group. It was back when the Spice Girls were such a thing. I got all the girls, put them in a group together, made them perform, sold tickets, made them rehearse. And I was just standing there like kind of trying to orchestrate the whole thing. I bought the little headsets. Like... I've always been that person who's like trying to direct what everyone's doing and make sure everyone's kind of being their best. Just a natural born talent manager. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's like also comes from like caring about people and wanting them to live their dreams. So it's all about just like finding ways to make things happen for people. Yeah. What advice do you give to talent that you work with today? 
a lot of advice. <laughs> so, so say there's a new new talent or new artist that you want to work with yeah. and you want to help them develop their career, certainly yeah. through online platforms, but also many of them are perhaps interested in bigger projects, exactly. traditional media. How do you help them uh, kind of navigate their careers? I was just joking that the couch in my office is like a therapist's couch because it's partly hearing them out and seeing what they want to do, what their pain points are, kind of hopes and dreams, and then also how do we make it happen. So my biggest thing is focus on building an audience and having something that they can own and they're not always looking to others to attach themselves to things. So build something that you own that's yours, that's authentic, that's real. And don't focus on making money, being famous, because that will come if you have the right stuff. So the best people I say, like, if I first start working with you for a year, I don't want to make any money. I don't want you to make any money. I don't want to change anything that you're doing. Because if you're doing it right, you should be in a position where you're building an audience and they'll trust you and they'll get to know you and then you can monetize it and you'll make a lot more money then than you would doing stupid things kind of in that year. So it's focus on what's important, be a good person, have the right values, be organized, be respectful. It's all, for me, a lot of it is kind of like just teaching them how to operate in business and in life. And then the money almost like comes. It's like with anything, if you have something good, or you're talented, or you're good at your job, you'll be rewarded. So it's I've, I've tried to focus them less on the hustle of like a Hollywood lifestyle or something, and more on just focus on what you're good at. We'll make sure this all this other stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. Do you work primarily with emerging artists, or do you find existing established talent, and you're helping them take their careers to the next level? For me personally, as a manager, most of my clients have been with me for about seven years. So I found them when they were emerging, and we built them up to the point that they're established. But now at the company, we have multiple managers, tons of clients that all kind of, each manager kind of runs their own book of business. So there's some managers that are newer to the game and they're developing talent just like I was seven years ago. We have some managers that have talent that have already been developed and they're servicing them. I now am helping managers find developing talent and kind of mentoring them to give them, you know, that upper hand because I don't have time all the time to develop someone from scratch. Um, but I'm always looking, like, if there's someone that I see that's really interesting. But I haven't signed anyone in, like, a year. So it's always has to be special. How do you balance your time between your existing client commitments of the people you're managing, but also growing a business and yeah. uh, coaching those other talent managers? Yeah. I would say it's become probably, in terms of time, like a 50-50 split. Some days it's 80-20 in, in favor of running the business. But the idea for me is that the business should ideally one day run itself. So we should set it up, have the right people, empower everyone enough that I shouldn't have to be, you know, I'm not the special secret thing. This company should be bigger than myself. So the goal every day is just how can we give everyone the tools they need so that they can one day just all kind of run on their own. And then I can have a few clients that I have fun with. But the passion for me is really building the business. How does Select differ from some of the more established Hollywood talent agencies, right? A CAA, a WME. Why was someone signed with Select rather than one of the bigger, more established agencies? Yeah. So we work, so we're a talent management company and we work with the agencies. Like a talent will have an agent, a manager, a publicist, a lawyer, there's a team. But obviously we would be considered competitors to traditional management companies. Mm. And I think the difference is what they're focused on. Like I personally am not a huge fan of people who just want to act. You know, a lot of those traditional companies, it's like you're an actor and you might do a few brand relationships. You might have a book one day, but it's not the focus. My goal is building a talent that can that has their core talent, but also has a whole slew of businesses around them. So I think it's more of a 360 approach than traditional might be because they're more focused on 
what's your next project? What's the project after that? Sometimes they'll start a production company, but they're still just really an actor. And we're kind of, we try to be more multifaceted, multifocused. And so why does a talent need so much representation between the lawyers, <laughs> the managers, the agents? Yeah. I'm sure you're all yeah. lovely people and uh, helping yeah. them develop their careers. But why, you know, why are there so many people involved in that process? It's interesting. Not everyone has that many people on their sure. team. It depends on the personality type, how much someone wants to be involved day to day. A lot of them, it's like I always say, I have a, a team. I need a lot of people to help me. A talent, there's no reason they shouldn't have a team to help them. Assistants, things like that. I used to kind of say that you don't need an assistant. You can go figure out your own stuff. But I have an assistant. So why would I expect you not to? So it depends on the person. And a lot of my job is managing the team members and making sure that that person's doing their job or this person is talking to that person. So sometimes you need people just to delegate responsibility to. And I'm not a publicist. I could never do that job. I'm not an attorney, but you know, I can't do those things. Agents are awesome because they're always out there hitting the pavement, looking for opportunities. Whereas I think the manager's job was more vetting things that are going on and making sure that it's in line with the five, 10 year goal rather than trying to get as many deals as we can at once. So I think everyone plays an important part. It's yeah. just about finding the right people and making sure everyone's doing it. Doing their job. <laughs> sure. How do you think the digital talent model evolves? Are we going to see greater convergence of traditional and digital projects? What do you predict? I think the digital video space specifically is interesting because there was obviously that huge boom with a bunch of new buyers and new money infused, but a lot of it was kind of smoke and mirrors at times. So I think for talent that have a digital business, the focus is now how do I build something that I own that I can monetize and I can monetize without having to wake up and get on camera every day. So whether it's consumer products, licensing, where they have products in retail that they don't have to push every time for a direct conversion, building a, a, a brand like a makeup brand or a clothing company, we have clients that we're doing with that, touring, all that other stuff that's the outside of what they kind of traditionally do, and also producing their own products and attaching themselves to things that are interesting to them, you know, and not having to be on camera all the time. Yeah. So ultimately, it seems like they're monetizing much closer to the end consumer, closer to their audience, exactly. right? Because they've built more of that direct relationship rather than having the medium, you know, having the network in between that relationship. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the time, those companies were kind of building themselves up to sell. They didn't necessarily have a goal to become profitable or to be a long-lasting business. They were looking for like the quick, hard cash. And for the talent, this is their life. This is their career. They're not going to do something... They're not going to get another job at another company. They need to focus on something that can, you know, actually help them live their life. A big part of their job sounds like it still revolves around being on camera, right? Yeah. Being this personality. And so what are the platforms that you see as primarily important for those digital stars today? Is it YouTube, Facebook, Instagram? Are we seeing other emerging platforms? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's YouTube. I always say is like the sitcom they're on. They show up to work. They do their job. They post their videos. That's like the bread and butter and it's what everyone knows and loves. And it's, a, it's super important. It's the foundation, but people can't necessarily do that forever. They want to feel like what's the next step. What's the next step. And that used to be going from YouTube to going to TV and a total jump. But I think people have realized now that it's supplemental. So you have your, you have your sitcom, but then you can also shoot your movie. You have your sitcom, but you can also have a book. What other platforms are relevant? So the focus is YouTube. Instagram is huge, especially now that Snapchat isn't necessarily a key player in the game anymore with the stories and things like that. So what changed? Was it just that Instagram copied the Snapchat features? They That's copied the features. Uh -huh. The audience was already on Instagram, so they don't have to drive someone somewhere else now. They can keep it all in one place. And Snapchat didn't necessarily reach out to the creative community in the, in the early 
stage or once they changed the platform, there wasn't tons of communication about what the changes would be and how that would all work. And I think it just led to people kind of being confused and sticking to Instagram and it just kind of worked for Facebook. So <laughs> Yeah. And it seems to me that Instagram always had more of the media and more of the uh, creator focused approach where a Snapchat maybe is going through a bit of an identity crisis, but almost looks more like a messaging service or perhaps an AR company than it does a true creator platform. Yeah. One of my managers was telling me that she was visiting a client in the South and I guess there was family around or kids around and the kids are using Snapchat photos to message each other. So they're not using the text features. They're sending each other's photos of a water bottle and writing on it, like, what are you doing? And the person replies with a photo of their chair and says, not much you. So they're just sending media back and forth. And they said that if, this is some insights for the people that want to know about the youth, that if someone texts something on Snapchat, it's like a serious thing. And the kids are like, you're, you're getting really serious if you're texting and calling is not even on the table. Yeah. My sister is a uh, middle school teacher. So all of the, yeah. the trends, what are the youth thinking it's about? It's crazy. Yeah, I get the, the download from her all the time, but it's, you're right. There's like a whole different way of communicating in these, these nuanced forms of messaging that are arriving out of what channel am I using to communicate with you? What kind of tone or approach or even the features within the applications themselves yeah. am I using to message yeah. you? It has a different kind of uh, meaning. Snapchat still has a major shot and it's a huge messaging service, but I think the dynamic with celebrities and talent has changed and they'll have to figure that out. Do you have any unpopular beliefs? I love asking this question about what does Scott Fisher believe that other people might think is you know, totally crazy? Unpopular beliefs. I've always been anti raising money or scaling too quickly in terms of running a business because you really have to prove that there's a viable business there, not just spark of a business. And obviously for technology and other startups like that, you need the funding and you need scale and all that stuff. But for representation or anything really based on talent, you, it's hard to scale that because you're scaling people. So I've always been anti, oh, we just raised $20 million. We're huge. And it's like, no, you're $20 million in debt. Like that's not something to celebrate unless you have a clear path to, you know, $5 billion. So it's interesting to see when people raise money and how people look at it. What are some other unpopular opinions? Uh, let's dig into that one. We can come back yeah. to that. But I, I think you're right. And look, I've worked in a number of bootstrap businesses and it's a bit of a different model, right? right? Especially in this town or in the Valley. Totally. And what gave you that belief system? Has, is that just the way that Select has grown up? You guys, have you raised outside capital? Have you thought about raising money in the future? What does that look like? Yeah, we haven't raised any capital, have no loans or debts or anything. So I think it's also probably where I where I come from, my point of view, yep. and that I started the business with nothing to lose and I didn't need any money to really get it started. You know, I also think for my clients, I have to give, I have to show them the example of being an entrepreneur and building it from nothing to something because that's exactly what they did. So I think for me to raise money at times might be kind of contradicting myself, but we would, we would consider it for something like a fund to produce content or invest in other businesses, but not necessarily just for the management company. I think that makes sense. And, you know, look, we started Paladin by investing our own capital. And we share the same belief that you want to obtain as much of the business as you can early on. Yeah. And those creative constraints of not having unlimited capital, so to speak, uh, forces you to figure out product market fit a lot yeah. faster and provide value, focus your time and attention on what is going to ultimately serve the customer. Exactly. Because if you're like spending your that. own money, you're much more careful about the decisions you make. Yeah. And you don't treat it like fun coupons or something that you just can throw around. 
So I want to come back and see if you have any other unpopular beliefs. And I'll give you a minute to think by sharing one of mine, which is that micro-influencers just aren't really that effective, right? And uh, yeah, right? Like a couple of years ago, people were all about this trend of micro-influencers. And it was a great way to get reach and scale. And you had all these marketplaces that allow you to activate them programmatically. But I think we've seen, A, brand safety challenges as Mm -hmm. a result, uh, lack of uh, proper execution, and then C, like what is actually delivering a result for a brand, right? If you are an advertiser... Does reach and even engagements really move the needle for you? Or are you trying to increase awareness or purchase intent or actual conversion, right? I don't think that micro-influencers have successfully delivered on that. Exactly. I think it's a mix. I think you can be super successful with some micro-influencers and medium-sized and large. And you would be doing yourself a disservice if you only worked with huge talent because one might fail and your whole campaign can go down. So I think it's it's about being more mindful on the tools and the needs of the actual campaign you're working on and not just activating a micro-influencer platform and thinking that checks the box for all of your digital marketing needs. I think it's just about being smart with how the money's spent and you can trickle it everywhere and everyone, you get a little piece and see what works and then dive into that. Any other thoughts on things that the rest of the industry tends to believe that you disagree with? What are some things that I could give a hot take on? Do you have anything? I guess I don't believe that Facebook is going to be the next premium content viewing destination. A lot of people are really invested in Facebook's going to make it. They've got the audience scale. They're going to activate monetization. They're going to figure out the rights management challenges. I just haven't seen them get their act together. I think Amazon is much closer to it with Twitch or even the Amazon originals programs that they're doing on the premium kind of traditional end. And even what they're doing with creators, we're seeing real money flowing through Amazon. They have the billing relationship. So I think they are the sleeping giant much more than, than Facebook is kind of the successor or the true competitor to YouTube. Yeah, I think Amazon has it right. I think Facebook, like you said, needs a little bit more time and to figure things out. But I honestly do think they have the audience, so you have to do something with it. Yep. And whether they're number one or number three, being number three in this space is still very successful. Sure. So I think they have a shot, and I think the key is just figuring out the creative that makes sense for them. And if they don't need to be Netflix. They don't need to be Amazon. There's tons of different ways to approach it. Yeah. All of those companies seem to be struggling with what is the path, right? Yeah. YouTube forever has wondered, are we a media company? Are we a technology platform? Yeah. Facebook is going through the same thing right now, right? Trying to, to recruit the right folks, build that DNA. And it's hard, right? It's hard to kind of do both of those things well at the same time. But they do all of the power, the buying power, the audience attention, the ad spend is heavily concentrated right now between YouTube and Facebook, which I think is dangerous, right? It's a dangerous proposition for advertisers, for creators and audience. Ultimately, we need to fix the concentration of advertising spend and we need to fix the value gap that still occurs between traditional media and digital. And you need more platforms and more people spending in different ways, branded content, paid media, influencer marketing in order to accomplish that. Yeah, I'm always super supportive of new platforms popping up and we see how we can work with them. And if they can get the audience, we're totally game and we're open to investing time and money into things that aren't necessarily super proven. But Mm -hmm. the whole thing is just getting eyeballs. Some of these platforms have amazing UIs and they have have a great team and they have even great ad teams and you can make money. You just need to drive people there, which is, which is hard sometimes. How do you help your talent navigate that world? Because, you know, we've seen huge stars grow up on yeah. platforms like Vine that aren't around anymore, building an audience on Musical.ly and the future of that platform is a bit uncertain. So are you helping them then cross over to the more established platforms like YouTube and Facebook? Or are you telling them, well, let's find a way that you can build that even more direct correlation between yourself and your audience? Yeah, I think the key is 
diving deep into the platforms that you know work, like I said, keeping that as your core base, but also making sure that you put time into things that are developing, even things like Facebook. It's not necessarily the number one destination for a lot of our talent personally, but they have the, the audience there. So putting time into running their Facebook page, doing a deal with Facebook for Facebook Watch, smaller platforms, just seeing what works. But we've also been very hesitant to do deals or get super involved. Back in the day, there were, there were all those windowing platforms that came up. We didn't do any deals, even though there was tons of money, just because we wanted to see what kind of shook out and see where it all went. I would rather be a little late to the party and then be successful instead of super early every time and kind of taking a bunch of hits for my time because they should be protected and they should only be put in environments and situations where they're going to succeed. So it's hedging the bets and seeing what works. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions about the digital media space, what do you see? I think it's number one, consumer products and licensing. That's where everything in terms of all the merch and everything that we're doing with retail is going. Um, We have clients that are taking shelf space for major brands at retailers. Um, In the fall, we have our client Lord DIY is launching a fully fleshed out licensing program, Walmart, Target, Joanne, everything, multiple categories, multiple licensees, tons of stuff. So that's, that's a whole business. And like I said, we have the direct consumer brands we're launching. Those brands could sell to somebody. There's, there's a real business there that we can run. I think content is still super important and super, there's a huge opportunity there, but it's about being careful of the buyers and working with people that you know your content's going to be seen and it's going to be premium. So we've been super careful to only invest in concepts that we are really proud of and we would, we would be happy about even if there wasn't a talent attached instead of just selling something for the sake of selling it to someone because there's talent involved. And the other key, I think, is profitability. So I think a lot of businesses now are scaling back, looking at their books, realizing what's going on. Everyone talks about like the death of digital video or the death of YouTube or whatever it is. I think the death is the death of unrealistic businesses and expectations and raising money and all that stuff because our business is more successful than it's ever been. And a lot of the talents businesses are more successful than they've ever been. But we see the headlines of X company lays off 20 employees, whatever it is. It's because that wasn't actually, in my mind, a real business model to begin with. I agree. There's so much doom and gloom in the press. And 2017 was a hard year in many respects for folks in the video industry. But I view it as a natural correction of some of the over-enthusiasm of this is a new space. There's a lot of capital so these things balance out. Yeah. As with any new industry, you have great companies that are doing yeah. an amazing job in executing. You have some average companies that are yeah. figuring it out. And then you have some that just don't quite get there. And that's to be expected. So what we're seeing is a balancing out and, and focusing on those things that truly drive profitability long term. Yeah. And the great companies are usually focused on their work. So you don't hear much about them. You only really hear about the crashing and burning stuff because that's what's flashy and exciting. And yeah. what people are going to talk about. So I think it's just important that everyone, and I've talked to so many people that are just like, we're hunkering down, focus on actually making money and being successful. Yeah. I think it's the third key. What does the future hold for Select Management Group? We are working to diversify. So talking more about all the different ventures that we can do. I'm personally interested in helping other entrepreneurs diversify what I'm, I diversify what I'm doing by helping them. So investing in their business, helping them optimize things, giving these startups that I run into, I used to kind of hear them out and then didn't think I could really help. But now I realize that there's, there are places that I can help them. Um, we're producing content. The whole goal is just to build something that's bigger than myself, 
that we have things that we own and that you know will last a long long time and help our clients do the same thing. So it's diversifying, building when it makes sense, and focusing on just having fun, not taking it too seriously. That's great. That seems to be the most important path, right? Is enjoying certainly enjoying the process and in doing so, building IP. Developing something that your talent can own so they have a longevity of their careers and as a business, owning something tangible because I know that can be one of the challenges in the management business, right? It's developing something like long-term ownership. If you were starting a business in the online video space today, just doing something completely new, what would you do? It's a good question. I think I love what companies like Brat are doing. So building a brand that stands on its own that you can kind of bring talent into, but it doesn't necessarily totally rely on them and figuring out what the next huge media brand is and not something again, that's built on the backs of talent, but that you're building with their support. So like what's the next MTV? What's the next, you know, youth media brand I think is, is really interesting. And that's obviously that would be a huge undertaking. It is a lot of work, but I think there's a real opportunity for someone to crack the code who actually gets the audience and not kind of, someone who's out of that generation trying to insert themselves into that culture. Yeah, that video publisher kind of building the next-gen media brand, it seems to be the right time for that, right? And yeah. we saw a whole slew of brands being built primarily driven by talent, Let's call it, you know, two, three, five years ago, Awesomeness TV, Machinima, yeah. right, being built around this notion of here's an audience, but it's, it's kind of geared around this idea of talent. Now you're seeing businesses that are saying, we are going to be the brand. We are developing the content. We're going to bring talent in when it makes sense. But uh, the true brand identity is the media company that that we're creating. And those brands can end up having their own consumer products and actually selling something. Glossy, a huge makeup brand, started with a blog. So there's totally ways to build a brand that means something to someone and have a bunch of offshoots that make sense. Where can people find out more about you and your talent and Select Management Group? Select.co is the best spot. And LinkedIn, Twitter, all that stuff. I'm always open to meeting new people and available for chats. Awesome. (laughs) Well, Scott, this is great. It's so fascinating to learn a lot more about the talent management business really from the inside out and your journey as an entrepreneur and how you're helping the talent kind of think about their long-term career prospects and build something that is sustainable and and has IP and and long-term value. So thanks again. This is terrific. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.